Well, good morning. It's still morning. Thank you all, uh, and a special thanks to the Capital Link team uh, and to all of our panel here, which uh, has a great title, Investing in Shipping. Uh, and so what we're trying to do here is to get a sense of what investing in shipping is like today, what the environment is, what investors and Wall Street analysts see as the opportunities for investment in shipping companies and how that coordinates with the, obviously, with the capital markets uh, serving the industry. Um, you know, we've heard a lot in the last couple of panels about the energy transition and where that funding may be coming from. Uh, and it seems like the consensus is that uh, both consumers and capital markets will provide a primary source <coughs> of funding for the upcoming energy transition and what we're undergoing currently. And as you've already heard, uh, there is and will continue to be a very big, uh, big number in terms of overall capital expenditure planned on an industry-wide basis and on the horizon, uh, and particularly in light of geopolitical events and other events that are delaying, uh, you know, diving headfirst uh, into that energy transition. So it's no secret here today that we must consider the uncertainties and the volatility in the market stemming from macroeconomic factors such as inflation, the specter of a global recession, which has been, uh, you know, kind of back on people's lips again, uh, interest rate hikes, which we heard a little bit about at the end of the last panel, the evolving situation in Ukraine, and more recently stresses in the banking sector. So I'd like to welcome and introduce our panel. It's a lot to chew on, obviously. Um, first, immediately to my right, representing City, Krista Volpicelli, who is a Managing Director and Head of Investment Banking at City. And a special thanks to Krista and uh, her team for hosting this great event with the Capital Link uh, team as well. Uh, I guess next to, <laughs> next to uh, Krista is Espen Leistahl, Director and Co-Head of Shipping Investment Banking at Clarkson Securities. Um, immediately to his right, uh, with the investor perspective, I would imagine, is Carl Sinvis, who is the head of fund management and portfolio manager at Cleve Securities. And of course, at the end of the row there, last but not least, Larry Glassberg, who you all know, executive managing director and co-head of investment banking at Maxim Group. All right, well, thanks for all coming, and I think we should get started with some opening thoughts from each of our panelists. Starting, let's start with Krista, who's immediately to my right. Krista, what do you see as the main theme for investing in shipping today? Um, is, it the, uh, is it the energy transition story, or maybe people are looking at more traditional metrics? And what are investors looking to capture through all of this? Um, whoops, sorry about that. Um, I would say it's it's two things, and it probably depends a little bit on the type of investor that you're speaking with. But uh, one of the main themes today is cash flow. Um, most investors are, are here to ultimately make money, and there are many sectors of shipping right now which are doing quite well, especially compared to historical times. And so you have companies that are making significant amounts of money and are thinking about different ways to deploy that capital 
Many companies out there have dividend policies which should greatly reward shareholders over the near term, and, but they're also thinking about dividend policies in a way that is preserving their balance sheet and their liquidity to be able to invest and grow for the long term, which is, which is pretty exciting and ultimately what equity investing is all about. Um, with respect to energy transition and zero carbon emissions, I definitely think that that is an important theme across both equity and debt investing. As we all know, there's no one solution for the global shipping sector today. It's, it's a work in progress. But I do think that um, it is an important theme in terms of how management teams are regarded and you know, what kinds of things they're doing to be forward-leaning um, as part of that. But that you know, can be quite intangible today, just given, given where we are in the state of development. Uh, thanks, Krista. Larry, uh, what are you thinking about that with your shipping-focused uh, you know, business over at Naxal? You know, I, I, the markets, you know, clearly today are extremely choppy. Um, and, you know, I would tell you is our firm view six months to 12 months ago within the maritime industry is very different than where it is today. Um, you know, what we're seeing from a market point of view as it relates to maritime companies, I do uh, agree with my colleague over here that cash flow is really driving a lot of demand in, into the market. Um, you know, I think ultimately, depending on which sector and which vertical you're in, there's obviously very different macro themes that are going in each one of those, those markets. Um, but I think ultimately for us, uh, our investors are driving to more cash flow. Uh, they're looking for growth and growth that you can get, you know, very quickly. Uh, and I think a lot of that as a, especially if you're in the public markets, is the navigating of where your stock price is and where your NAV is, if that, you know, to, even to a real extent is the right methodology or metric to be looking at uh, from a capital raising point of view. But we've had companies over the last six to nine months, even in challenging markets, go out and raise a fair amount of equity to grow their fleets, and they're now being rewarded today because of a significant amount of cash flow that they're generating. And if stock prices have come in during that time period, they're also, in some cases, buying back stock uh, at very cheap levels. So depending on where we are in the markets, uh, it, it is going to be choppy in, in the next, you know, it's called six to nine months. Um, but again, cash flow is king in these type of markets. Thanks, Larry. Let me ask the same question to Espen. Um, what do you see as, you know, what investors are looking for and uh, what you're seeing from your seat? Yeah, sure. Um, I think, you know, uh, to, to answer that question, it's, a, it's important to also look at uh, who the investor base is uh, and who are, you know, the active participants in this cycle. Uh, I think uh, if you need to sort of take a step back and address that first. And uh, I think uh, last year we saw uh, not a great amount of deal activity, but we, we had uh, close to uh, one billion in in primaries uh, placed, a little less, uh, and uh, we were quite active uh, as Clarkson's in those transactions. And uh, one of the things we saw was, number one, the geographical split uh, between the investor base. Uh, it's more skewed towards uh, Scandinavia and, uh, and uh, towards uh, the UK uh, than it was in the past cycle. Uh, where American investors were more active. Uh, so that, that's the first part. Uh, the second part is, you know, the type of capital. Uh, the type of capital now is more uh, trade-oriented, uh, more hedge fund uh, dominated uh, than before. Uh, and as a result, that also, that sort of sets the criteria for, for what the investors want. 
So uh, uh, we, we see, sort of see three key themes that uh, investors are, are very focused on now. It's, um, it's liquidity, uh, it's a capital allocation policy, and more specifically dividends, and it's governance. And I think, you know, uh, we've, we've placed transactions in pretty much all segments uh, over the last uh, 12 to 15 months. And uh, they've been priced uh, fairly similar, uh, uh, even though, uh, you know, it's been, we've, we've done transactions for product anchor names and we've done major sell downs for, for container names. And, and uh, we're seeing sort of the same trend. Uh, investors are looking at those three factors, uh, not exclusively, but, uh, as at least, uh, um, at least it's a very important ingredients. And then I think uh, the, the, the second part that makes this very exciting is of course the fundamentals, which we'll, uh, we'll get into a little later. Great. Thanks very much. Uh, Carl, uh, from the investor's perspective, I know that in our firm, and I can see where the focus is, uh, you know, we have a worldwide practice and it seems that anything that really touches more of the future of energy seems to be of interest to a lot of folks. Uh, just wondering from your perspective, do, how does shipping fit into the overall picture in your funds management practice? Yeah, thanks. <clears throat> so my, I'm a bit uh, on the other side of the table because uh, we are um, a small company, a shipping-based company from uh, Oslo. and. Um, we started a hedge fund last year, in July uh, last year. And I believe that the interest in shipping as in general is, um, is increasing uh, rather rapidly. And we have seen um, interest uh, from all over Europe, actually. And we have investors, of course, from all over the world. And I think uh, I agree with uh, Espen, but I also think that Many investors, they want to take part in the recovery of the China story, so they, they want to be in shipping to, 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 uh, to, get, the, to get the performance out of the, the recovery in China. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a quite uh, spe special situ situation with the, with, the, with the fleet growth situation. And I, th I, I feel that uh, over the, uh, yeah, the last two, three months, investors are, um, are uh, focusing more on the shipping sector in general. They want to invest and be a part of the shipping. I also think that we are in the start of a pretty good cycle in shipping, and um, yeah, it's exciting. Just to drill down a little on that, do you see any sector-specific <coughs> issues that uh, you're thinking about in your business, and also, uh, I noticed that uh, Espen had discussed a little bit about governance. So, how does that fit into your picture when you're when you're looking at portfolio investments in the fund? Yes, yeah, so I think uh, from my point of view, it's very important to have shipping as a part of a portfolio. Our fund is uh, close to zero co correlated to the S and P, uh, but I think uh, most of the interest. Sector-wise, is in the tanker market and, the, and, and of course, the bulking sector. So, so I think uh, going forward, it will be uh, most interest from from our investors will be in that uh, those two sectors. Thanks very much. Let me just switch gears a little bit. So, turning a little bit more to recent events, 
and some of the more political issues and how that might intersect with investing in shipping and capital markets with recent events such as Russia's apparent escalation of its attacks in Ukraine and the news about the bank failures here in the United States, which of course was a, a, you know, somewhat unexpected and a, made a great impact here. What is the general state of the capital markets, uh, both public and also in the side-by-side -side in, the, in the larger private, I guess, capital markets rather than the public markets? And <clears throat> let me start with Krista on that question. Sure. Um, well, I, I guess I would start by saying if you, if you would have asked me that question maybe one to two weeks ago, I would have said that the capital markets feel that they've been starting to function more normally um, as people started to get some consensus around the trajectory of when interest rates will peak, some consensus around just, um, you know, overall recession, soft landing, all of those kinds of questions. Obviously, over the past couple of weeks with the, the topics that you just mentioned, there is, um, you know, questions and concerns, although uh, with some of the actions that have been taken with government stepping in, with other banks stepping in either to inject capital, um, as Citi and some others have done, or, um, you know, the, the potential um, takeover. Um, actually, markets are up today in terms of investors feeling like there is some level of support and, you know, the knowledge that there is, um, you know, with respect to the larger banks, um, you know, a degree of, of health overall in the system. So I think there's um, hopefulness that um, this can stay contained. Obviously, there's still risks to that. Um, and, you know, geopolitical, it's, you know, anyone's guess in terms of what will happen and when. Um, but certainly I think that's why if you look at what most public companies have been doing, there's been a high degree of focus over the last 12 months of just making sure that balance sheets are strong. And, you know, we've been in this scenario where there's certain sectors that companies are making a lot of money and they are rewarding shareholders, but they're doing it in a way that's different than, you know, 10 years ago where we had a lot of high, high payout companies that were not sustainable. I think the thought process amongst many management teams is different today. And so that will be helpful to, to deal with, um, you know, whatever there is to come in terms of the outcome of some of these events. Let me just go across the table to Larry. When you're sitting in the room with management teams in the shipping industry, how are they reacting to these recent events? And uh, is it affecting, uh, like we said, maybe in the their, their use of their balance sheet, um, the type of transactions that they may be looking to you to help them bring to the market? Yeah, listen, I think every single situation is going to be different uh, than a management team or company is going through as they're navigating through, you know, very challenging times. I do agree with Krista. If I, if I look back two weeks ago, very different market than we were <laughs> in the last two weeks. In the last two weeks, you know, I would say it's probably been one of the more challenging times that I've seen in the last seven to ten years. Um, and I think it's more geopolitical uh, and things that are driving to people not necessarily knowing where the bottom is yet. So as any company, and you know, fortunately for where I sit, you know, I'm not only looking at maritime, but as a group head, I'm looking at many different sectors and many different verticals. A lot of the maritime companies that we're dealing with today are generating cash flow. And there isn't a gun to their head to come into the market necessarily to go raise capital. Um, you know, I've always preached is that you have to be opportunistic in many situations. And if there is the opportunity to go out and raise capital outside of whatever your budgeting and long-term goals are, 
you want to take advantage of that. Because even in a situation where the market potentially comes in, if you're in a stronger balance sheet position, that's going to create other opportunities for you in the market. Um, from a general maritime point of view, we've probably done three or four transactions already this year. Uh, and each week to two weeks we've been in the market with deals, the market has been such is so vastly different from week to week. And I think that's a lot of the function of the volatility that's in the market today. So the market's going to remain volatile. Management teams of maritime businesses, like any other business, have to be prepared to be able to go when there's an opportunity that allows them. Clearly, that's going to be very different in the public markets uh, versus the private markets. But cash flow is king. And, we're, and I think you've heard the panel say five or ten times already. Uh, having cash flow and generating cash flow is going to give you more optionality within the market. Yeah, Espen, let me turn to you. Oh, thanks, thanks, Larry. Espen, let me turn to you on that same topic. You seem to have a, and your, and your organization has a greater focus on the Norwegian bond market than some of the uh, perhaps others sitting at the table. And just same same question to you is, uh, do you see that dynamic changing a little bit? The Norwegian bond market has been extremely active uh, year to date. And do you see these recent events in the last week or two as changing that dynamic? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, obviously, gen uh, um, generally speaking, uh, the market right now is, is very turbulent. Uh, but I think, uh, I think, you know, looking back at the last uh, 12 to 18 months, we've had very good, uh, good uh, inflow of capital to our sectors. Uh, we've had, uh, We've had um, uh, lots of transactions, uh, not in terms of volumes, uh, historically speaking, because they typically correspond, uh, correlate uh, highly with, with order books, which, which we, we saw at the uh, panel earlier today are at uh, all-time low. Uh, but, um, but I think one, uh, one of the sort of uh, differences on, on, uh, on uh, I would say that the, the, the Norwegian stock exchanges and, and the capital markets in Norway as opposed to the U.S. market is that it's, uh, it's facilitated in a way where it's more tailored for the maritime industry uh, to, to actually respond and, and, and get transactions done uh, uh, when the opportunity arises. Uh, I think, you know, as an example, uh, if, you, if you're a new company and you're, wanting, you're seeking to list, you have an opportunity that you want to... To, to take advantage of uh, by utilizing the capital markets in, uh, in Oslo, um, you can do so on fairly light documentation in, in uh, a short amount of time. We're talking weeks and not uh, months uh, with, uh, with an intention and, and uh, a promise to the investors uh, that you will do the document, uh, the process of uh, listing uh, afterwards. So that, that has sort of become the more trodden path in, in Norwegian capital markets, uh, uh, at least for new entrants, uh, which is also probably why we saw uh, at least some, some of the follow-on activity that occurred last year uh, coming from uh, Norwegian issuers uh, as opposed to, to U.S. issuers. Um, when it comes to the bond market, I think it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to, to hear all, all these uh, other panels on what seems to be a, a common consensus here on um, a focus on deleveraging uh, and uh, and having you know more robust and resilient balance sheet with lower break evens and focusing on dividends as opposed to um, increasing leverage. Uh, 
Uh, and I think you know that obviously corresponds with with the order book and and uh, opportunities, uh, limited acquisition opportunities and growth opportunities. Uh, but uh, you know, for some issuers that are frequent issuers in the Norwegian high yield market, uh, they've managed to to tap into that market very efficiently now. And uh, uh, as as uh, both Krista uh, and, and uh, Larry said earlier, uh, there's been good inflow into to our markets prior to uh, this. Uh, bank crisis and uh, that has also uh, uh, we've also seen uh, new issues uh, in in particularly the Norwegian bond market as a result of that and and also very act very much so in the offshore uh, offshore uh, sector uh, thanks Espen Carl I thought maybe you might have some thoughts on that uh, general topic as well um, and uh, you know I do note that at least here in the US I've been hearing anecdotally that there's been uh, uh, quite a bit of activity among investors, investors in the funds, you know, uh, asking for redemptions uh, in light of the more recent activity. I'm not sure that's still ongoing, but that seemed to be a topic in the media here last week. Uh, I was wondering if you had a, a point of view on that from the Norwegian uh, perspective primarily. And also, do you see yourselves at Cleves as having kind of an open lane now uh, in this industry? Well, we haven't uh, received any redemptions yet, so that, that's good. But I think, um, you know, uh, the last couple of weeks have been um, uh, volatile, and it's uh, yeah, it's difficult to to um, to uh, to see the end of it. But I think for for the shipping space and the companies that we in the fund are invested in, I'm not that worried about uh, the bank crisis. Um, uh, isolated for that company so I think most investors now will use this opportunity to to uh, to invest and uh, as by now I, I have uh, I haven't seen that kind of um, uh, yeah redemptions or uh, investors that are really concerned and, and, and stuff like that so from my point of view, I think uh, this will end pretty good, and, and yeah, in case of shipping, I think it perhaps may be a good opportunity going forward to buy some, yeah, some shipping companies that are cheaper now than two weeks back. So yeah. Well, I think that that's a that's a theme, right? Buy buy low, sell high. So looking for the cheap <laughs> companies, why not? Uh, I, the next question really is more for the investment bankers. Um, you know, there seems, at least in my mind, there seems to have been, you know, at least in the past several months, uh, not as much interest in uh, new issues and U.S. capital markets uh, in terms of capital raising as I think had been expected if we were, uh, you know, going backwards. I think we had indicated in the last couple of panels, going back to the third quarter of last year, and as uh, late as last month in Athens when we met, uh, you know, the spark in capital markets activity, I'm not sure has been as robust as we had expected. Um, and we see that Denaus recently filed a universal shelf registration statement. Himalaya Shipping, um, a dry bulk company uh, currently trading in Norway, uh, did an initial filing uh, for an IPO that would be led by DNB and Clarkson's. And earlier this year, Ocean Pal, the dry bulk spinoff of Diana Shipping, closed a deal for units and warrants that was led by 
uh, Larry's for Maxim. And I'm just wondering, what do you see as the prospects for both IPO and follow-on capital markets equities uh, in the U.S. markets? And what, let me throw that over to Larry uh, first. You know, I would say it, it depends on where we are, you know, from a market cycle, um, like we've been talking about, you know, today. Um, one of the challenges, obviously, if you're going to do a deal in the public market, especially from an IPO point of view, is you're very much subject to what the broader market is doing outside of just what your sector is doing. Generally speaking, the IPO market has been more or less shut this year. There's been a handful of deals. We actually did a very small IPO in the last week or so that fortunately has traded up. But, but finding demand for new paper coming in from an IPO point of view, I think in this market today is, is very challenging. Now, will they get progressively better? Uh, as the market, you know, firms up. Generally speaking, when you see IPOs getting done, you're in a, a very strong market uh, and you have the ability to drive a lot of demand into issues in, in a stronger market. In a softer market like we're in today, new issues are very difficult to get out because the valuation arbitrage usually is not there because a lot of companies might be trading at significant discounts to whatever their uh, intrinsic value is. The secondary market is very much going to be driven by companies that need to raise capital or opportunistically want to go out and raise capital if there's something that happens in their stock price. Remember, public companies, as you're out there, especially if you have a liquid security, they could take the life of their own. Sometimes they trade rationally, sometimes they don't trade rationally. And a lot of times when you see issuers raising capital is when their stock is not trading rationally and maybe they get ahead of themselves, they give the opportunity to go and sell equity uh, in, in those markets. So we've seen it across the board from issuers that we work with. A lot of the issuers that we may work with might be very different than say a Citibank where the size of that market cap is vastly different, say to a sub hundred million dollar market cap to a multi-billion dollar market cap. And each one of these companies, depending on the size profile, is vastly different from what they were looking at doing. It's like, I, I always make the scenario, it's like a doctor that's a brain surgeon comparing it to a foot surgeon. You kind of know what the system in the body works like, but what you're doing specifically is vastly different on, on a day-to-day -day basis. So generally speaking, the issuers that we work with, we always have them prepared to go and we opportunistically get into the market for secondaries when we see there's a window, not only from a valuation point of view, but also from a liquidity profile point of view. Yeah, Krista, I'm sure you have additional thoughts that you could share with So I'm not, I'm not going to ask Larry who he thinks is the brain surgeon and who he thinks is the <laughs> foot doctor, but um, <laughs> that was an interesting analogy. Um, so I, I think those are all, all good points made. I, I think the one other element I would add to this maybe goes back to another discussion we were having about, you know, Norway markets, U.S. markets. I think that increasingly investors are sophisticated enough and willing to look globally across different exchanges. And so we actually find, as we're talking to issuers, the decision of are you listing in the US, are you listing in Norway, um, you know, really there, there's a lot of elements to that decision in terms of market depth, trading liquidity. Um, when you think about is there a valuation arbitrage, that, that has kind of started to, to close. I think people will look across different exchanges and so, you know, Sure, there's different document formats you can go faster, but there's some investors who aren't going to accept that kind of um, that kind of situation. So it's a it's a question of company size, what a company is trying to achieve in terms of access to capital today, 
as well as access to capital and trading liquidity over the longer term. And so I don't think there's one right answer. It really depends on, on the company situation. And I think, you know, Larry's comments are you can do big or small in the U.S., but, you know, the kinds of investors that you attract will be different depending on the dynamics of, of the company. Well, that's an interesting uh, statement. So it's always been, you know, my understanding and I think the general notion that the large amount of capital that's necessary in certain industries like shipping, like aircraft financing, for example, that the U.S. capital markets was the primary source just due to its vast size and ability um, to absorb larger deals in a, in a more diversified way, as opposed to maybe something like the Norwegian market where at certain times uh, the shipping portfolio in Norway was a much bigger percentage of the overall Norwegian capital markets. Um, are you seeing, I mean, let's talk about who the investors are then, if the investors are more fund-based as they are, and I guess depending on what kinds of funds they are, and larger institutional investors, um, do you think that they'll be more agnostic as time rolls on to investing in some of the regional markets, or do you feel that they still f uh, feel that the U.S. capital markets gives them the greatest opportunities for diversification? I, I think it, it depends on the investor type, because there's going to be some funds which are smaller who will have a regional focus and, and that's where they will focus. I think the larger global funds are the ones that can look across markets and so, you know, are happy to invest in a company, whether it's U.S. listed, Norway listed, et cetera. I do think it is a, it is still a statement that to be made that the larger the company, the greater the need for liquidity. The U.S. is probably the right place for it. But, um, you know, City is active in Norway as well. We've got a, a local institutional Salesforce, Salesforce there. We have a different offering than, um, you know, some of the banks here. And, and so that's just a function of, of who we are. But I do think that it's really the larger global funds that are the ones that will cross those markets. Uh, uh, thanks, Chrissy. That's, that's actually very interesting. Espen, let me turn to you for a second, and we're going to just move on a little bit to something that the last panel touched on which is offshore wind and infrastructure projects that are going on around the world. Of course, these projects require shipping assets in order for them to, uh, you know, really get done. And um, I think we're all interested in where that financing will continue to come from as it grows, how investors can participate in that. And I noticed, um, you know, there's been some financing activity in the Norwegian market, uh, such as uh, this so-called super senior bonds um, that uh, uh, that were issued by Flotel International, which is a real uh, kind of an interesting thing, and that was that was banked obviously by uh, you know DNB and Pareto at uh, you know a, I think a pretty substantial coupon. Uh, how do you see that unfolding, and what do you see for the opportunities for shipping assets? in the wind projects? Is, there a, is that a separate lane, or is it just part of the overall energy story? Um, complex question. I think I it's, uh, and it's a little bit out of, uh, outside my, my scope, uh, but uh, I'll, I'll try to answer. I think um, if you look fundamentally on, on the offshore wind sector, uh, there is a, obviously a lack of, of new orders coming in that can, can absorb uh, the demand, or the expected uh, demand. Uh, and as a result, you are sort of relying on, on uh, 
relying on um, re, uh, re uh, not rebuilding, but you're uh, essentially uh, you know uh, upgrading offshore assets uh, to accommodate uh, you know type of the type of work that is needed for that industry. Uh, so we have seen, you know, uh, some some activity within that space, but I think it's, it is what's interesting is that you know there are two markets that are firing on on all cylinders simultaneously, uh, and then you get obviously uh, uh, a very tight market. Uh, in terms of financing, I think you know, and and for for capital markets activity. Uh, offshore uh, isolated is an industry that's much more dependent on that than, than offshore wind. Uh, and um, and uh, they don't have the same access to bank financing. Uh, they are uh, also um, relying on, on the capital markets to function in order to, to take advantage of the opportunities that, uh, that they see in the market. But, uh, um, yeah, it's uh, so, so. So that that in itself is is, uh, is quite interesting. But I think two two things that I want want to clarify. Uh, I think you know one one uh, one important feature about the Norwegian high market, which is a little bit different than the U.S. high market, is that the majority of uh, issuance is actually done uh, on on you know floating coupons. Uh, so that means that you have a, a bit of a different you know. Um, Exposure throughout the cycle and throughout this environment that we're seeing right now, uh, which is also why you know a lot of the secondary market uh, pricing of those instruments have held up significantly better uh, than it has in the U.S. markets. Um, so, so that's one uh, difference, uh, and uh, I think I think we'll see uh, more issues, uh, of course, but it's also. Um, very difficult to. Sorry, you, you mentioned a coupon of 11.25 percent. I mean, it's it's um, it's expensive. Uh, let's face it, it, it it's expensive and it's expensive uh, a layer of capital in the capital structure, and and uh, uh, it's also uh, in in um, for more commodity shipping companies that are focusing on deleveraging uh, the unsecured bond market, both in the U.S. and and in. Uh, Norway has been a typical instrument to utilize and sort of tap into the equity component of your capital structure. Uh, that is, of course, less relevant now with tanker and bulker names having a, a you know net LTV between uh, 20 and 30 and 40 percent. Uh, so uh, I think we need to see ordering in order in order to to actually get that market to to. Uh, Fire on all cylinders for our sectors, uh, but but uh, there are some frequent issues that will will remain in the market. Uh, Carl, I'm interested in what you you think we're seeing uh, in and around uh, wind, wind project related shipping assets. Yeah, well, so <clears throat> our fund is a is a shipping fund only, so we are not investing in in the wind or offshore or anything uh, like that. So so. Um, yeah, it's a little bit outside my my uh, my field of expertise, but I uh, I know that uh, within the Cleave system we are we are actually planning on on the, on starting something up within the within the sector, so that's exciting. But um, yeah, it's it's nothing relevant for for our fund. Okay, well we're we don't have a lot of time left, but maybe I can go up up the row here and have each of our panelists give some final thoughts on investing in shipping capital markets and kind of just open up the table uh, and, and the dialogue uh, 
to maybe some structures and themes that you might feel it's important for the audience here to start to consider as we move into the next phase of both the energy transition and also what we're seeing as uh, kind of a, a new dynamic in really in shipping and financing and the relationship between banks, capital markets, and uh, also alternative investors. So let, let's, we'll just maybe start with Larry on the end there and uh, see what you think about that. Yeah, you know, listen, I think um, as I've already said, and I think a lot of our panelists have already said, um, you know, the markets are extremely volatile today. Um, you know, in terms of sector focus from our point of view is, you know, we're agnostic as it, as it relates to which vertical we're going into in the maritime space. What we're ideally looking for is very strong management teams, the ability to scale pretty quickly, uh, and navigating the market at different times. Um, you know, I think, you know, the, we are seeing, um, you know, the ESG component come up into a lot of our deals, whether that's 100% relevant for shipping or not, tough, uh, <laughs> tough ESG stories in, in a lot of regards. Um, but, you know, there are uh, opportunities within that value chain that we're seeing out there today. Um, you know, generally speaking, um, you know, from a, from a growth point of view, the U.S. capital markets for maritime companies is an is a incredible uh, facilitator for capital raising. You just have to find the right opportunities in the, in the market lifestyle cycle. IPOs in this market, like I mentioned before, are going to be very challenging. I think you will see people opportunistically do things uh, in the market, in particular around reverse mergers, utilizing SPACs, not necessarily to have cash there on the balance sheet at closing, but as a mechanism to, to get public. Uh, and a lot of companies are utilizing that as a, as a methodology to then scale post-closing of those transactions. Thanks, Larry. Uh, Krista, perhaps you have some final thoughts on this intersection of uh, different funding sources, investing in shipping, et cetera. Sure. Um, I would say it's, it's an exciting time to be looking at the sector as an external investor. There's lots of great opportunities and, and management teams out there. I think that there's, there's lots that you can find and study about the different dynamics, the order book, the demand, et cetera, and so you can, you can figure that out pretty quickly, but I think what's, what's most important today is the credibility of management teams, their commitment to corporate governance, their commitment to um, how they're navigating through the energy transition, both near-term, medium-term, and long-term, and um, ultimately it's about building a business with a strong balance sheet, financial flexibility um, that will earn investors money today and be able to grow in the future. So, so you really have to, to dig into individual companies to figure that out. Um, gone are the days where you could just look at dividend yield and think that that's a comparison because there's so many different policies out there, but um, depending on what your flavor is, there's, there's lots of opportunities. Uh, thanks, Krista. Espen, if you have a couple of short words, we're yeah. pretty much at the end here. So. Though just fundamentally speaking, I think you know we're we're heading into what looks uh, looks to be uh, a, a super cycle for certain segments in shipping. Uh, I'm extremely excited myself. I think there will be a lot of opportunities ahead. Uh, we have an order book for for the dry bulk fleet of seven uh, percent. Uh, the same number is five percent for crude and four for product. If you look at just the LCCs, that order book is now at 1.6 percent. There's 15 LCCs at order. Uh, and we have rates above $100,000 a day. So uh, I think uh, we have, uh, we, I think we have some really exciting times uh, ahead. And if you're an investor that uh, is considering to, to, to start spending more time on this sector, 
I would encourage you to do so. Uh, thank you, husband. Uh, Carl, maybe you have a couple of quick thoughts before our time expires here. Yeah, so Espen uh, said everything I wanted to say, so thanks. <laughs> but, You're uh, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I agree. I'm extremely positive going forward. And yeah, as everyone has said, uh, we have the uh, both supply side and the demand side, especially for the tanker sector and the bulker sector, looks extremely good. Uh, we have the Chinese China recovery. Um, we have the extended ton mile in, uh, because of the situation in U Ukraine. So I think everything uh, put together uh, looks really, really good. And um, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks very much. We're unfortunately we're out of time, but I'd like to again thank the Capitoling team and the city team for hosting us today. Great panel, and thanks again. Thank you very much.